healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. All right. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is John Powers from Advanced Medical Pricing Solutions, or AMPS. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to either lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Excellent. All right, let's do it. So uh, to get get us started, I've got a brief bio here um, that I'm going to read so our audience has a little bit of uh, context about who they're listening to. John Powers is the Executive Vice President of Sales for AMPS, or Advanced Medical Pricing Solutions. AMPS provides leading-edge healthcare cost management services to the payer community, including self-funded employer groups, third-party administrators, health plans, and insurance companies. As one of the most visible healthcare cost management experts, John has lectured across the nation and at international conferences on five continents. He has been interviewed by national media, including A&E's Investigative Reports, Dateline NBC, 60 Minutes, Business Insurance, Claims Magazine, and the New York Times. John is the co-author of Surveillance Risk Management 101 and the author of Greenhorn Traveler. He's widely known as one of the most successful fraud investigators in the industry, having conducted investigations in all 50 states and over 120 countries internationally. All right, John, anything else you'd like to add to that? No, I think that's a good setup and looking forward to your questions and an open dialogue on um, my two cents, uh, which I think is worth a little more than two cents, but you be the judge of that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it too. So, uh, John, give us just uh, give us a little background about yourself. I mean, how did you, you know, first get involved in, in the healthcare industry, and and how did that evolve into you, uh, you know, joining and, and you know, really being a leader at AMPS? So yeah, I actually was um, president of the Insurance Claim Investigative Division for Kroll Associates, which is a worldwide risk management company out of New York. And we dabbled in healthcare, so I could spell healthcare as far as knowing how to navigate the system, but we focused on fraud, all types of fraud. And um, then I made a jump over to um, Trustmark Insurance, where a recruiter brought me over to head up their uh, anti-fraud program to make sure that only valid claims were paid and fabricated claims were exposed. And I made that switch from this high profile, widely known international fraud company, just because I knew this healthcare issue, uh, or at least I suspected was going to be a problem for the next several years. And I thought that uh, be a better opportunity to drill for oil where there, where there was oil. So I had about, um, probably about 12 years ago, just really started having a more singular focus on healthcare only. And uh, boy, am I glad I did that. Let's start this interview at the macro level, and then we'll get into the the AMPS product and and, um, the variety of services that you guys provide. You know, as you know, we have a healthcare system that continues to consume, you know, more and more of our disposable income. You know, a recent Kaiser Family Foundation report, you know, indicated that all Americans have insurance. Of those, over a third have difficulty affording their health insurance premiums and all their out-of-pocket expenses. So while medical inflation is you know, relatively low over the past couple of years, it seems like affordability is getting worse. So tell me in your words, what do you think is wrong with our healthcare delivery and payment system? And why do you think costs continue to rise like they do? A great startup there with, you know, most Americans have insurance through their employers. And I'm not sure about that word insurance. Um, that insurance 
makes uh, employees think that they pay their premium and there's this uh, ferry in the sky that pays whatever cost they have. So I have insurance, so it must pay this. But if they think about it, much like their auto insurance, where it's a similar delivery mechanism, there's limits to that. So, uh, you know, most employers or most employees are part of a employer-sponsored health plan that, that maybe in the technical terms is insurance, but I sure don't feel like it's that way because it doesn't pay for everything. And as more of a defined benefit, um, I think that's one of the problems is this misconception that, hey, I have insurance, it's got to pay this. And it doesn't because, uh, you know, as Mahatnam Gandhi said, you know, a couple decades ago, the world has enough for every man's need, but not enough for every man's greed. So what should be covered? Um, you know, one of the, the obvious things is, is uh, you know, cancer drugs or, you know, 40 percent of the cancer spend for an individual with cancer is typically after the battle's already lost. And, and make no mistake, if, if I was suffering from cancer, like my dad did, my dad passed away when I was 10, there was no value or there was nothing that I wouldn't want someone to do to try and save my dad's life. So being part of an employer-sponsored health plan, who decides what gets paid for and what doesn't? Like, should I have these experimental drugs when the odds are against it? Is that fair to the rest of the employees on the plan? And, and when you think about that, if you think about a you know thousand life employer, for example, and um, I'm one of the members and we all pay into this plan uh, with a contribution from our employer and that money is supposed to be shared throughout the plan. And, you know, the most expensive drug out there right now is Algensma, a $2.1 million drug for uh, a preemie spinal disease or SMA, spinal muscular atrophy. Is it fair that, that I consume $2.1 million of that for one drug and that effectively would raise premiums for the rest of their employees for you know $25 a month for the next four years. Those are the kinds of things that uh, the, the common theme is there's, there's not a consumerism in our model right now. And I think that's the biggest thing that's missing is the consumerism and the misconception that there's this insurance ferry in the sky that should pay for everything. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, I think what you're talking about is really equity, right? Is it, is it equitable for, for us to cover everything right? As opposed to what's medically necessary. And those are good questions. Those are actually hard questions. I think, you know, right. for probably a lot of people and, and employers to, to grasp. And I think you're right. It is one of the many things that contribute to unsustainable, you know, medical trend is, is a lot of times we cover everything, even when it's not necessarily, you know, clinically proven to be valid. I mean, so many of the drugs right. the FDA approves, they're approved because they're safe, whether or not they're effective is a whole nother question. And yet we cover them, you know, as if, as if that FDA approval was also evidence that, uh, that it was effective. So. Right. Especially when there's no outcomes based refunds on some of these. And, you know, my perspective on the equity and I think where uh, my two cents, not necessarily my company's two cents, where where the market will eventually evolve to is, uh, I told you that I lost my dad when I was 10 years old, and that taught me a lot of lessons. We were broke. I just didn't know it. And my mom used to do things like, here's $30 for school shoes. I could buy sufficient school shoes for $30. If I wanted the Air Jordans, I had to get a job and pay the difference at 12 years old. I think 
my gut tells me that more employers are going to move to models of defined benefits. Say, we don't pay for Neiman Marcus here at XYZ Trucking. I think that's one of the solutions that makes it equitable, where if I want to go to Mayo, maybe it's 5000 out of my pocket. But if I want to go to you know XYZ Hospital, which has great outcomes in, in Dallas or wherever we live, those affordable school shoes, that should be covered. But if I want the, the Neiman Marcus, that should be a different cost for me, the employee. That, that feeds back into that lack of consumerism I talked about earlier. Yeah, no, and what you're really talking about there is transparency. And the lack of it is, I think, one of the biggest challenges we have because behind the veil of a traditional provider network, I mean, there is no price transparency. And, and with traditional benefit design, there is no incentive to choose one versus the other. So I think uh, right. you're speaking to a lot of important things there. So I think that's a good segue into what you guys do. You provide a number of different services. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the AMPS platform and specifically what problems you're attempting to solve with the variety of services that you provide? So yeah, great, thanks. Um, First and foremost, AMPS is a medical bill review company and we focus on hospital and facility claims, inpatient and outpatient claims, whether they're in and out of network. And we conduct a line by line medical bill review I try not to use the word audit because that confuses a lot of people where, you know, one of the carriers say we already audit claims, you don't need it. But what, what is not being done is that line by line review to get the itemized bill and go down that bill line by line and to say, was this the right care? at the right time and finally for the right price. And we use a team of 25 board certified specialist physicians. So if it's an oncology claim, we've got an oncologist looking at that that's doing more of a peer review saying, hey, I treated this type of prostate cancer. This isn't an evidence-based medicine. This isn't following a clinical pathway. And, And our business is shrinking in the medical bill review side because one of the secrets is many of the carriers have no audit provisions in their PPO agreements. So not to pick on any one of them, but if we say Cigna, for example, um, if you sign up to get their PPO, you are restricted on the errors that you can correct, which which is mind-numbing to an employer. When I sit in front of a CFO with a broker and say, hey, on this $2 million claim, you didn't have the right to correct this air, even though this was a human air, because you theoretically bought into the industry's best discount. So you waived your right to audit the claim. So what AMPS does is that line by line medical bill review that makes sure that it was the right care at the right time for the right price. And that's probably, you know, we also do reference-based pricing. I know we'll talk about that in a minute, but the medical bill review is, is so shocking to employers. When I ask an employer, to say, hey, let us take a look at your top five largest hospital bills you paid last year. And when they find out that the third-party administrator or the ASO provider just paid those claims by applying the PPO discount, I could see the hair stand up on the back of their neck. I've seen the work that you guys have done on one of my clients and it's impressive and the savings are real. But But let's take a step back for a second and let's talk about hospital bills. It's been stated that up to hospital, 80% of hospitals have errors or mistakes in them that, that obviously cost employers and employees a lot of money. So can you just give us some examples? What are, what are some types of hospital bill errors and how prevalent is this problem? We find errors on virtually 100%. The federal government through their RAC 
program, the recovery audit contractor program, finds errors on nine out of 10 Medicare claims, but we find errors on virtually 10 out of 10 claims. Might be a $2 error, might not be worth correcting for $2. It might be a $200,000 error, but we believe in auditing all these claims and we find fundamental things like upcoding, unbundling, services not rendered, uh, things that weren't medically necessary. It's just sloppy billing errors. And, you know, one of the things on, on a claim we, we looked at last week that was with a, with a large carrier, the member had chest pains, went into the ER, was admitted uh, because they thought he was having a heart attack and they needed to do some tests. So th they arranged for a battery uh, uh, test. And over the first three days this, on day two, they did a uh, scan of the bile ducts and, and, and the gallbladder. And day three was supposed to be a drug-induced stress test to find out about that, that heart attack. And on day two, the HEDA scan showed that there was calcium deposits on his bile ducts, and they were able to pinpoint that's where the chest pain was coming from. So there was no need to do the $87,000 drug-induced stress test. And so it was never performed, but because it was already ordered, it was subsequently billed and no one stopped to correct it. Now, I'm not contending that was intentional, but it was a mistake. And unless you got the itemized bill and you had a cardiologist look at that, you would never know. So it comes from things like fat finger errors where a 27 cent Tylenol is billed for $270 to, to $87,000 errors where, where a, a test was, was billed but never performed. So we see all shapes and sizes and, and, and those, those, those are mind-numbing, the things we see. But really, it starts with the most shocking thing is most claims payers don't get the itemization. And, and I know you're familiar with it, but some of your audience might not. That's so right. There's three main, three main forms of, of the, the, the documentation on a medical bill. There's the UB or the universal bill or UB04, which is the summary of the bill. Think of it as like your monthly cover page for your American Express bill. There's the IB or the itemized bill, and that's the itemization. So your cover page for American Express might say you owe $5,000, and you're like, right, that's about right. But you still look at the itemization, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't go to Starbucks on January 27th. And that itemization is where the bodies are buried. And nine times out of 10, the claims payer doesn't get the itemized bill. Sometimes they're not required to get the itemized bill, it's not in the, the plan document language, they're not contractually able to do so, but you can always get the itemized bill. So I say some pretty pointed things and have a strong opinion on things, but one thing I will tell you is, is I will never agree with anyone that says it's okay to pay a large dollar claim without the itemized bill, because that's where you find the errors. If you're not getting the itemized bill, there's no way you, you can check for errors. There's no way to know off that summary of that cover sheet. Yeah. So, okay. So how common is it that these large hospital bills are just being paid off, off the UB and not being audited at all? I think it's 95% of the time. And it's typically driven where it is, is usually by stop loss or reinsurance on a large dollar claim where they might write into the reinsurance treaty that you have to get the itemized bill. I think 95% of the time they don't get the itemized bill. And I know that from you know, 12 years experience asking it from you know Fortune 500 companies when I say, hey, ask your carrier for the five largest itemized bills. And they say either, hey, we don't have them. B, we can't give it to you. Um, it's just not happening. When we get that itemized bill and we go through it, we find these errors that are just shocking. One really, really crazy scenario is, is with Blue Cross um, nationally in their blue card program for out-of-network. A change they made uh, last year was 
the state that's providing the care. So, so you're in uh, um, Southern California. If you were traveled to Vail, Colorado to go skiing, mm-hmm. that's an out of network claim. And maybe Blue Cross of, of Colorado applied the discount. That state, the home state where you receive the care is not contractually required to provide the itemized bill. So it's not that the payer's not recording it, the host state doesn't have to provide the itemized bill. And, and I'll give you a quick example of one we saw recently was a blues plan in, in Georgia had a member, uh, a remote member that had a liver transplant. The liver transplant was in a state in the Midwest. And when we asked for the itemized bill, they got a one page uh, handwritten sheet that said uh, $571,000 for a liver transplant. And it, it said it did say catastrophic claim, but that's how the claim was paid on a $571,000 liver transplant, not for the acquisition costs, just for actually the, the transplant itself. And, and when, when the employer saw that, they said, you got to be kidding me. And they said, well, you know, Blue Cross, nobody ever got fired by choosing Blue Cross and, and, and it's the best discounts, but we can't get the itemized bill. And this is all they provide. So it was handwritten, like if you went to a diner, 15 years ago. And I, I saw that probably about three weeks ago. And, and it's shocking. I, I, I redact it and show it in some of my presentations, but people don't believe it. But this employer said, you know, John, I don't know if all you're saying is true, but I have to move away from, from the carrier world where they're paying a $571,000 bill, not even without the itemization, but handwritten. So one, there's a lot of errors in, in hospital bills and two, oftentimes they're not being audited. So, you know, I guess that, you know, that contributes to a lot of waste, right? There's money being paid that shouldn't be, be, you know, being paid in the first place. One of the things that you, you mentioned was that, you know, certain carriers with access to their networks, they actually prohibit you from reviewing the itemized bill. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Yes. And, and I think and, and that so, the genesis of that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, why would they do that? Well, if, if, um, they, if, if, if theoretically they're supposed to be working in the interest of the payer, right? Why would, why would their contract not allow the payer to review an itemized bill? So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question first. Are they supposed to be working in the interest of the, of the employer? Um, but I'll answer that with, um, who's really their customer? And that's a question for them. Um, you know, if you sit on uh, some of the conference calls that like United Healthcare might have or, 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 or Cigna, you know, their most valuable asset is their network. So if that's their most valuable asset, who's their customer? Is it the hospital or is it the employer group? And I know that you can't serve two masters that have different goals. So I, I think the genesis, genesis this is probably, you know, 20 years ago where they said, hey, look, we're giving you a 20% discount. We're going to get you a 40% discount and we're going to bundle in. Yeah, there's average errors and we make mistakes. So we're going to build that in that discount. So we're going to compensate you more than that because people want to get paid. Hospitals want to get paid faster. So it probably made sense, you know, 10, 20 years ago. But when I'm in front of that employer that's got a 2% profit margin that's fighting to give quality benefits to their employees, it's no longer acceptable to say, hey, you can't provide that. And, and through one of those, you know, you probably use the same acronym that, that we do, the BUCAs, and they're not the evil empire. They do a good job on certain things, but it is a lack of transparency. We had one recently where 
an employer in California wanted us to audit their, their five largest claims. And one of the carriers said, yeah, we'll let you do that. Um, but, but AMS has to sign an NDA and a confidentiality agreement saying, hey, you can do this, but you can't use this to compete against us. You can do this, but you can't challenge what we're doing. I'm like, well, what's the point? What's the point of doing it? So I get it. I can argue both sides of the coin. And if you want to hit the easy button, that's what you would do. And when I'm in front of an employer, it's usually with a broker. And, and the, what the message we're trying to communicate, if you want to take control of your medical spend and your employee benefit plan, you have to unbundle. You have to get away from the carrier because when you can't audit a $571,000 claim, you can't check a liver transplant claim for heirs and everything else you do, you, you audit, you know, we were at a fortune 500 company yesterday. They said at any one time they have four auditors, independent auditors in the building, auditing things year round. And I said, how do you audit your healthcare claims? I will, well, you know, the carrier does it for us. And I said, do they? Do they? And but but it's trust that, that hey, they're doing it. And 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 uh, I was about to say, I, let's let let's pull back the veil here, right? So let's let's talk about. I mean, when we do the medical bill review, what is the typical amount of savings that you would find, you know, in a given year for your average employer, you know, on their facility claims? So it ranges, but the average is probably ten percent, ten percent additional over the PPL where we find things, these are black and white errors. These aren't our opinions. You should do that. But an additional 10% errors that are just not found uh, on those claims. And we usually do it post-pay first to get proof of concept. Or let's say you had an employer in Long Beach, we would, we would show examples for other clients where we've had similar claims at the same hospitals that their employees go to, to show them, Hey, this works. There's, there's no reason not to do it, but you really need to get to prepayment because you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's paid, it's tough to call that money back. So, so really get to prepayment, but the, the savings is about 10% uh, on, and it ranges from 1% on this claim to 32% on that claim. It's all over the board, but over the course of 162 game season, you're enhanced the value of your PPO by an additional 10%. That's huge. And, you know, we, we've seen, you know, very good results for some of our clients, you know, that do um, the medical bill review service. Uh, but to your point, it has to be done prior to payment. So how are you integrating with, with the TPA? Describe the process of, you know, somebody goes in for, uh, for a service at the hospital, you know, how do you integrate with the TPA where it gets to you prior to payment of the claim? The TPA will inevitably have cost management controls in place. And so they do everything they can do. They apply the PPO discount. They, if they have coding in, built into their system or what have you, they make sure it's an eligible claim before they would press that print button to, to, to pay the claim, you know, with that virtual check, they would pen that claim and they would send it to AMS with the UB or the uniform bill, the itemized bill and what they were going to pay it at. So as, as a final filter, AMS would then review it. So, so it's creative and it's not duplicative to say, Hey, using our board certified specialist physicians, we find additional savings on top of that. And, and your next question might be, how do we get paid? We only get paid when we find additional savings. It's a percentage of savings realized. So for example, if we audited a claim, the TPA was about to pay it, they sent it to AMPS. 
We review it. We send it back to them with uh, EOP codes or explanation of payment so the hospital understands why there's an adjustment and EOB codes for the member so they understand why the claim was reduced. Uh, and then it's paid that way with a recommendation, if you will. Now, note one important difference is, is we don't call up the hospital and say, hey, we found some errors. Is it okay? Do we correct these? Some firms do that, and they'll open up a negotiation at that point in time. You can either ask forgiveness or, or permission. We believe our model has shown over 16 years that the employer has every right to make that correction if we're using national billing and coding standards. Only 4% of the time does the hospital call up and say, hey, we were expecting $62,000, we got 52, where's the other 10? You gonna mail us another check? And then that's when our dispute resolution team would explain to that hospital, here's why you got paid less. And ERISA affords them two levels of appeals. So to give you an example, there's a third level of medical record that we didn't talk about yet, but there's a detailed medical record. So maybe on the claim, it was an obese gentleman who had an appendectomy and through no fault of the hospital, they had to do some additional things that weren't really explained on that itemized bill. They have every right to supply that additional uh, information that says why they deserve more. We will rework the claim and we'll adjust our findings based on that new information. So this is not about, let's see how low we can get this claim. We want to make sure it's paid fairly. And so about 1% of the time, the hospital will send over detailed medical records and we'll adjust that claim and adjust our findings and our fees to make sure that it's paid accurately. The speed of the process, right? I mean, once the TPA sends the information to AMPS, you know, how long are you guys taking before you turn it around with your recommendation on what to pay them? On average, it's about 3.3 days. Okay. Um, so it doesn't, that's a big concern is people say, hey, we have prompt payment laws in state, this state or that state, but all those prompt payment laws say it's a clean claim. And there's no way you can tell a claim is clean or not without it. And, you know, the, the uh, California Department of Insurance has a civil code which says if you have an articulable suspicion that it might not be clean, it pauses that clock. And, and you know, if you look up articulable in the dictionary, it's not really a word, but I think what they meant is if you can articulate <laughs> why, why there might be an error. And if you don't have the documentation, you can't pay the claim. So some, some TPAs are concerned about that. And, and But doing this, you know, uh, 16 years, we know that um, – the hospital never challenges that prompt pay. They just want to get paid. And, and they're in favor of us getting the additional records to, to pay that claim accurately. Yeah. So at what level do you start, uh, do you review a claim? Does it have to be over a certain uh, dollar threshold before it gets kicked so it to you guys? it can be. Yeah, it can be. You can choose. Uh, um, on out-of-network claims, we go down to dollar zero. On in-network claims, a lot of times it's over $5,000. But you'll set the threshold. Um, some say, hey, let's start at 50,000 instead of 5,000. And then let's see how it goes, because there's just a concern that I want to, I want to, you know, go in beta or test this. So usually it's 5,000 and dollar zero and on a network. And, and one important thing is, is uh, we're talking to a, a state benefit plan right now, and, and, and they're, they're getting ready to implement this. And they said, hey, let, let's do a beta program for a year. And uh, then after that, maybe we'll look at making it final. And I said, actually, it's always a beta program because we're only as good as our last claim. You send us a claim, we audit it or we review it. If you like what we do, we get paid if we save you money. If you don't like what we do, you don't send us another claim. So we, we earn your trust one claim at a time through our medical bill review program. There's no PEPM fee, so, I mean, you're only getting paid when there's a result, right? 
Sure, sure. And one thing I throw out there is people, employers maybe that are thinking about this type of medical bill review program, whether it's with us or someone else, you got to do it. But the first thing that they get if they called up their carrier and they said, oh, we already do that for you. It's in uh, it's in our contract. And when we actually, you know, if you look in the contract, it says that they'll do it for 45 percent of what they save. Um, so so I have three questions where I say, look, just make it simple. Send these three questions over to your account manager for whatever carrier you're working with and wait for the answers. Question one is, is are you conducting medical bill review for us prepayment? And if so, what are the results? And of course, send the results over. What gets measured gets measured, managed. Number two is, um, are you a fiduciary to our plan? You know, that came up a little earlier when you said something to the fact that aren't they supposed to be doing what's in the plan's best interest? Well, it's not their money. And I only do things that are in my best interest, uh, my personal life. So, so I wouldn't expect that they would do it. And, and when you ask a carrier, are you a fiduciary to our plan? Um, they usually don't say no. They say, they say, hell no because they don't want that responsibility, that ERISA-defined fiduciary responsibility, to me is that tipping point, because that's a big deal. You know, if you're a fiduciary of the plan and you're found to violate those fiduciary responsibilities, they can not only go after your company, they can go after your personal dollars. That's, in theory, that's how stringent it's supposed to be. So that's the litmus test for me. Hey, are you a fiduciary of the plan? No, we're not. Okay, then why would you audit the claims? I need to have a third party that will stand up and say, I am contractually obligated to do what's in your best interest, regardless of what it means for us. Yes, that's. I think those are those are great tips. So if if uh, an employer is hearing, you know, from their TPA or from their you know ASO carrier that they're already doing this, you know, those are great questions to ask to say, okay, are you doing it prepayment, and what are the results? Right, so, you know, show me the savings. Yep. And are you a fiduciary? And the third question, I'll I'll, I'll share with you later. But those three questions we did with a, a Fortune 500 company about a month ago, they got the results. Yesterday, a 42-page report from the carrier, it didn't answer any of those questions. It talked about the wellness program. It talked about disease management. It talked about the transplant program. But these are fundamental questions that this business can answer about everything else they're doing in their business. You know, are we checking to make sure if we ordered paper from Staples, did we get 500 cases? And who's <laughs> responsible for making sure things are accurate? So right. these are these, I call them demand poll questions where, where, you know, an employer asks these questions and when they don't get the answers, they're like, holy crap, uh, it is as bad as he says. My audience here on this show, employers, as well as uh, other brokers and consultants, and, you know, you've mentioned, um, you know, some larger entities. Is there any size limit uh, of an employer that you're willing to work with or are you willing to work with anybody? We've got employers with 27 employees and we've got employers with 450,000 employees. And it's most important, no matter how big you are or how small you are, it's one claim at a time on the medical bill review. So there is no size limits. It's just uh, if you want to make sure your claims paid accurately, we can do that for you. Great. Great. Love it. And again, you know, I have seen, um, positive results, you know, for my clients who have implemented this service. And I can't, uh, I can't encourage those listening enough, whether it's amps or somebody else, you know, there should be a third party reviewing those facility claims before they're paid because there is a lot of waste out there. Let's talk about some of the other services that you guys are, are, are providing. Tell us a little bit more about those. So the, the one that most people want to talk about these days is reference-based pricing 
and some folks might call it cost plus, Medicare plus, value-based pricing, but really it's reference-based pricing. The other product we talked about uh, enhanced the value of the PPO. This replaces the PPO. This is a health plan designed on fair market value where instead of getting a 50% discount, um, the employer says we're going to reimburse inpatient stays at 150% of Medicare, for example. So mm-hmm. um, that's getting a lot of traction and a lot of discussion around the country. And certainly uh, uh, is, a, is a catalyst for our growth is our reference-based pricing program. There's different flavors of, of reference-based pricing um, as far as whether you're just paying the bill or whether you're actually notifying the facility at the uh, pre-authorization, you know, what the reimbursement will be. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you guys are approaching it when a facility claim is involved. Sure, sure. So, you know, I, I think it's important to step back and, and say, hey, first, AMPS has been doing reference-based pricing for about eight years now, and we kind of see it as we're past that early adopter stage where, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, if you, if you read Jeff Moore's book, Crossing the Chasm, you know that there's an early adopter stage and then there's a chasm before you get to the early majority. And that's kind of where we're at right now, whether it's AMPS or one of our competitors. There are two distinctly different models. There is the prospective model, where, um, you know, real life scenario, I tore my ACL last year and uh, it went through prior authorization. And then uh, in the prospective model, the medical management team would call a hospital like Hogue in in Newport Beach and say, hey, we've got a patient that needs um, ACL surgery. Um, Will you accept 140% of Medicare? And they'll negotiate prospectively. Oh, you won't take 140. What about 150? 160? 170? And then you know they'll negotiate prepayment. Um, the retrospective model is where the member goes, provides the card, and 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 99.9% of the time gets the surgery. The, the, the claim is reimbursed at a permitted payment level at a percent of Medicare, for example. And then if there's a problem, the company uh, that they've hired to be the fiduciary like AMP sorts it on the back end. So there's pros and cons to both models. The prospective model, you'll pay a lot more because hospitals are pretty savvy now. They're saying, no, I'm not going to take 140% of Medicare. And if that member is, is hell-bent to go to that facility, uh, um, they'll pay more. Sometimes they pay 250% of Medicare, which uh, um, at that point, you know, where is their value? Um, some facilities or surgical centers will take much less. The prospective model has less disruption. The retrospective model has a little bit more disruption, but greater savings. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, and thank you for articulating both models so well. You guys are flexible with customers. You guys can do both, uh, both perspective and retrospective, or is there one that you yes, can do more? Yes. We do more retrospective mm-hmm. and, and, and give you, you know, some background of when I came to AMPS, I was working with the founder uh, who was the CEO of Eldorado Computing. And I was at a, a pivot point in my career where my company was asking me to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. This is a mentor, the founder of AMPS is a mentor of mine when he worked with Eldorado Computing. I said, hey, what do you think? I think I should move to Charlotte. Is this good for me? He said, I think you should come work for AMPS. And I said, so what you're telling me is you go to a hospital and you have surgery and you pay them a number that isn't what they expect. And I said, look, if we went out to lunch today and, and, and they build us 50 bucks and I said, Oh, we use reference-based pricing and you pay them 25, we're going to get arrested. I go, that'll never work. And he said, well, John, if you shut up long enough to listen to me, how this works, you might, you, you might see value in it. And, and I still didn't hundred percent believe it over eight years ago when I came to amps, but he said, look, trust me, this works. 
come here. And if it doesn't work, we'll sell something else. We'll figure out something else to sell. And so that retrospective model, we do more of because 96% of the time, a hospital bills for a laminectomy, for example, a back surgery, hospital bills, you know, $60,000. And we reimburse at our permitted payment level at 9,000. You know, the carrier might reimburse at 30,000 and, and the hospital gets a check for 9,000. They cash it. We never hear from it. 96% of the time they accept that. Now, if you want to talk about things that have kept me awake at night, why do they accept 9,000 when they, they don't know what they're getting. I think that hospitals, by and large, are, are operationally inefficient. They look at it and say, hey, this is about right. We'll take it. You know, we do more retrospective because there's much less disruption. And if you look at the, the, the um, dispersion of claims in a typical health plan, you know, a thousand members or a thousand employees, rather, you know, only 6% of them are going to have significant hospital and facility claims. So 94% of them, if you move to AMPS, 94% of your employees aren't even really going to need to know about AMPS. So uh, when, when we, we model things out, it seems like more employee employers want the maximum savings and know that they're not paying us to reprice a claim. They're paying us to, to get the, our reimbursement numbers to stick. I think another one of the things that you guys do is, is direct contracting, which, which is a little bit different, right? So do you want to expand on that? Sure, sure. So, uh, and sometimes that's born out of a group moving to, uh, um, you know, you got a you got a group in, in Houston, Texas that wants to come on board and they say, hey, get us a direct contract. And there are a hundred lives and we call up Memorial Harmon and say, hey, I represent Bob's bricklayers and they want a direct contract and they want it as a percentage of Medicare. Well, we're a fly on the rear end of of, of them compared to, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas. So those, those are big misconceptions. But over time, we're able to work with hospitals and, and, and as we've done in, in certain areas to say, hey, you know, we've aggregated lives in a certain area, a, a major metropolitan area of the mm-hmm. country. You know, we got 32 million in spend in your market and there's two main hospitals. Do you want this business at 140% of Medicare? And if you don't, we're going to call up the next hospital. We prefer to work with you um, and you'll get the lion's share of this 32 million. Or if you don't want to do it, no hard feelings, we'll go to the second hospital. They'll probably take it and then you'll get zero. So it's about, you know, now this is the consumerism. The same thing about, you know, the last car you bought, you, you probably would have been willing to drive to San Diego to uh, save $2,000. Well, employees, when they start seeing the consumerism will, but we need to aggregate lives in an area and, and more of that direct to employer model. And the, the head of strategy for USI put it once really well. And he said, hey, the PPO is that layer of opacity that lies between the payer and the provider. Reference-based pricing takes that layer of opacity out. So when we're dealing with a hospital um, and we can, we can steer members to them, that's when we have their attention. Uh, to get those direct to employer contracts. They're harder to get than many people think, but that's really part of crossing that chasm. I um, mean, you think about some mm-hmm. of the larger employers where a 10,000 life employer might not go forward with reference-based pricing unless there was, you know, uh, uh, some safe harbors in the area to say, hey, you know, in, in Chicago, you know, there's two main hospital systems. If we have one, um, that's that safety that an employer would say, okay, this makes sense. Uh, I, uh, my employees yeah. can shop at Target, but not Neiman Marcus. I, I love that example of, of leveraging, you know, volume in a market to, to force competition. And I, I guess what a powerful example of how a traditional PPO network does the opposite. It, there is no competition. 
right? I mean, you're, you're leveraging, you're leveraging volume to make that, that facility decide, you know, do they want, do they want the volume? And if not, you'll, you'll, you'll take it, you know, somewhere else. So I think that's great. We're real quick on that. We're really seeing it throw reference-based pricing out the window. We're seeing that um, with the traditional PPO model. If you look at the Dell Sport Worth market, for example, the two 800-pound gorillas are THR, Texas Health Resources, and Baylor Scott and & White. And more employers are saying, I want one, but not both. And they're getting better deals. So that is in alignment with our view as well. So we're just not, we're not the only um, accelerator here. Uh, the model's moving, the PPO model's moving that way as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think providers are starting to wake up to this as well. Um, we had a dialogue uh, yesterday with a, uh, a group of ambulatory surgical centers, and they're totally open to doing direct contracts, you know, in exchange for, for steerage. Um, so I think, um, I think it's, it's definitely interesting to see providers, you know, willing to engage in that discussion, um, you know, at a different level. Well, we talked about the fee structure for medical bill review for, for reference-based pricing and direct contracting. How's the fee structure work for that? So one of two ways, it's either a percent of gross bill charges, um, which, which gives some folks sticker shock, but we, we were able to, uh, AMPS and, and, and one of our competitors that, that can charge on a percent of gross bill charges, we model out and, and say, this is what you're going to save. You're going to save $2,500 None of our fees per employee per year. So a thousand life employer, we can save them $2.5 million. Now, one of the, the big questions is, hey, I don't like that variable model and they want to procure our services for a PEPM. We say, great, you can have it as a PEPM. So whichever you want variable pricing based on your utilization or you want PEPM pricing, we have about a 50-50 split of both okay. in, in our our data folks are smart enough to, to figure out how to, how to make sure. And, and really there's, there's low cost providers in our industry. Um, and, and there's, there's, there's more higher cost providers that, that provide more value. Really the big difference is whether that company is willing to be a fiduciary to your plan and whether they're going to indemnify the plan and the member from balance billing and, and, and lawsuits, for example, um, we've never had to go to court, but if we did, uh, our clients uh, um, wouldn't be harmed because of that. I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, I think that is a, a big differentiator. And so, you know, you guys are willing to, you know, to your comment earlier, be that fiduciary, you know, for the, the uh, plan sponsor. For sure. Yep. I think that's important. What are you most excited about right now in your business? Any, any improvements or enhancements to uh, what you guys are doing that you'd want to share with the audience? So, yeah, I think the biggest evolution as we cross that chasm is moving from reference-based pricing where, you can go anywhere you want. There's no PPO directory to search to where we've evolved to have more direct contracts or safe harbors. And we've implemented uh, in the last 18 months, our care connects program, which is think about that in terms of a care navigation program, go back to myself and my, my, my knee surgery. I wanted to have it at Northside hospital in Atlanta. Um, the number one uh, uh, surgeon for ACLs is, is, is there. And that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to the best. And with our plan, it was going to cost me $2,000 out of pocket. Our care navigation team set me up at a surgical center that has outcomes that are every bit as good. In fact, they're the, they're the surgeons for the Atlanta Braves. And, and I was able to get my out-of-pocket down to $250. So 
it's no longer the go anywhere. It's reference-based pricing with safe harbors and some steerage in there to promote that consumerism. And and my daughters hate it, but I'm the biggest consumer they know. I'll, I'll drive across town for to save 10 bucks. So uh, $2,000 is a lot of money in the Powers family. And, and, and if you can guarantee me that the outcomes are going to be the same, I'm going to use that care navigation. And that is different than you know, Jill Lunchbucket has done this last 25 years. So as we cross that chasm and show, hey, there's, there can be consumerism here. That's probably the biggest change. So uh, and, and increasing the member satisfaction with their health plan, giving them a chance to make an informed decision, like if they were going to buy a flat screen TV. Expand on that a little bit. So is your Care Connects uh, program and, and really like a care navigation. So how did it work for you personally? Were you able to engage them, you know, dialogue saying, Hey, I need to get this surgery. And then they did all the work for you. How did that work? Yes, it was. It was part of the prior authorization uh, aspect of it where, you know, I, I recommend any employer have not pre-certification, but prior authorization, making sure that this is a necessary surgery and it's covered benefit and all that good stuff. So that choice came up, even though I'd already selected my surgeon, that prior authorization made me aware of those choices to say, Hey, you know, this is available to you. And, and, and in a sense, I was able to step back and think about where I really wanted to have the care. Okay. So it was really built into the process with the TPA where the prior authorization sort of notified that Care Connects program to reach out to you and and discuss what your options were. Exactly. Exactly. So a necessary step because uh, when the proverbial crap is hitting the fan, you don't stop to think. I don't remember where my, I'm in this business and I don't remember where my open enrollment materials were. So I really needed another layer to help me pause and think about what was best for me and my family. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. I think it's a great service. John, if there was one question that I should have asked you in this interview, but I didn't, what would it be? You know, I, I think it's pretty comprehensive. Uh, the one thing I'd go back to is, is, hey, for those folks that want to learn more about their health plan, ask those three questions. And I'll tell you the third right now. The first is, are you doing medical bill review prepayment? If so, prove it. Two, are you a fiduciary to my plan? And three, I know that with the carrier, I have the best PPO discounts, 55%. What am I paying as a percentage of Medicare? Um, Ask those three questions and you won't get answers. Those are three fundamental questions that you should be able to get answers for all parts of your business, but you won't get answers from the carrier. We can answer them for you. We know that they're not auditing claims. We know they're not a fiduciary. And if with a carrier, you're paying about 260% of Medicare. With Nationwide, you'd be paying about 138% of Medicare. So those things, when, when we talked about it, an employer's ability to take back control of their employee benefit medical spend, those are the things that I'd encourage people. It's a fun exercise. You know, you're paying a lot of money to your, to your health plan administrator. Make them prove up their value and don't don't accept the answers oh you know we can't tell you that or you know you know how much you're paying for everything else you know ups knows what they're paying for tires and they know that if they can decrease the price of tires by two cents they're going to change their stock price you know take control of your business i love it no i think it's a great great point and those are great questions that uh you know i think our audience can can take away and and leverage in you know their own discussions and you know work on their own health plan so uh how can people interested in you know the various uh, services that amps provides learn more 
So they can either contact you and you can refer them my way, or they can contact me at J powers, J P O W E R S at advanced pricing.com uh, or go to our website and, and ask for additional info. Or my, my direct dial is six, three, zero, three, six, one, two, five, two, five. And I will tell you, you won't get a sales pitch from me or any one of our teams. This isn't something we sell. We educate, and then you determine if it's the right corporate culture for your group or, or your employee benefit plan. Uh, and we know it's not for everybody, but it's for those those people that, that want to take control of their plan. And we know, you know, we, we track SIC or industry classifications on trucking companies, grocery store, car dealer, assisted living, manufacturers. That's where we're booming right now. We're not doing business with a lot of tech companies in the Silicon Valley that have competition for human capital. Um, so it's an exploratory thing. We'd love to show you some of the reports that you can take to your broker, consultant, or health plan to say, hey, prove up to me what you're doing. I appreciate you kind of mentioned the industries that you're working with, but the medical bill review process, that is for any industry. There's, there's, no, there's no reason for whether it's a tech company or if it's a, it's a white-collar engineering national firm, the, the medical bill review process everybody should be looking at. There's just no reason not to. And by not having a process in place, people are wasting, wasting dollars. So, well, uh, wasting dollars in the health plan, but also the member, think of some of the plans where it's 80-20 or 90-10. The member has blind faith paying these bills. If the member found out that no medical bill review was done, no scrutiny was done, boy, there would be some litigation there. And, and, and I bring that up, not, not for threat, but I was contacted last week by a, a national law firm in Houston that wanted to do this type of thing. They're looking for health plan members that have had significant claims that, that want to see did their health plan administrator audit the claim and keep up their end of that fiduciary responsibility. So we're going to see this, this tipping point soon because as more employers know that their claims aren't being audited, they're not going to put up with it. Well, I guess that's a good point too, right? If you are a self-funded employer and if you are holding up your uh, responsibility as a fiduciary, how can you not be doing medical bill review? Maybe that's the right question. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think you can. And, and, and people want to do the right thing, but they're trusting the system. No one's ever got fired by from choosing Blue Cross. It's nothing personal against Blue Cross, but it's a broken system. There's no one person that's wrong. It's a system that's broken. We're just trying to give you the right questions to ask to take back control of your plan. It's been a great discussion. I appreciate you spending some time with me and our, and our audience. On behalf of our listeners, Thanks again for joining us. It's been a great discussion. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. I, I enjoyed it and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to AMP's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content we're bringing to you on the show. Let us know what you think with a review. It's super easy, takes five seconds. Just open up the podcast app on your phone, go to our show's page, scroll down to the bottom of the page and let us know what you think with a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.